Thanks, Danny. It's really great to see everybody here tonight. I was a bit unsure of how many people would actually um, be, be together. There's a number of families that have joined us as part of Arena Church in Mansfield, and uh, I, I can count three families that are away uh, for Easter holidays. So it is good to see so many of us here tonight, and there's been a great sense of God amongst us. We said that uh, Phil is away, um, and Sharon, they're in Arnold. So, Lord, we pray that you would bless them as he opens the word, that you would speak with him and with the people that he is ministering to. I don't know the church in Arnold, but I pray that you'd bless it and cause it to grow. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing with our series called uh, Arena DNA. Uh, It's basically sharing the values that uh, are very much part of who we are, actually make up who we are. And uh, if you've missed a few of them, then uh, you can always go onto the Arena Church website and, and just share... Uh, and, and listen, download and uh, th- those messages and you can listen to them again. My subject tonight is talking about arena DNA, um, unity, sorry, arena DNA unity. And uh, it's a value that we um, consider to be incredibly important in the life of the church. Let me just say something to each and every one of us. Um, it may be that you come from or were raised in quite a dysfunctional uh, home, uh, a dysfunctional family. It may be that you were married and you uh, became a a dysfunctional, uh, it became a dysfunctional marriage. This message you'll resonate with because the reality is um, if there is dysfunctionality or if there is division or if there are if there are conflict in the home it doesn't make it a very happy place would anybody agree it becomes a very very difficult place to live breathe work sleep in fact I would almost go as far to say it becomes impossible to live because of this the dysfunctionality now, I'm not, my, my subject matter is not here to talk about the dysfunctionalities of families and try and bring healing and wholeness to you, but I believe that God can touch you if that is you tonight. But I want to bring that analogy into the context of church life because it's impossible. Um, the, the Bible calls us a family. The church is the family. Church is a group of people. It's not a building. We're showing that tonight. We're meeting here in the football club And yet we are church. Church is about people. But it is impossible for the church to grow and experience the blessing of God upon it if there is discord and if there is dysfunctionality and if there is conflict. Wouldn't you agree? It's just a difficult place, even to the point of using the analogy from the home life now into the church. It becomes impossible to function. It becomes impossible to live and to breathe and to work. No good thing can happen in that kind of context. So now you can begin to understand the need for us to hold unity at the very core and heart of each and every one of us. I want to take you back uh, almost 300 years. In 1733, there was a religious revival that happened in Northampton, not in the United Kingdom, but in New England in the US of A. It was under the leadership of a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. I'm not speaking about the triple jumper. 
I'm speaking about uh, this great revivalist. This revival news spread ultimately to England and to Wales and led to a connection with and some people who would know their history of church life and church history would know the name George Whitfield. Going back to Edwards, Jonathan Edwards preached actually a really famous uh, message and it was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I remember being introduced to this um, message and somebody actually printed it off. It is available on on the website. It's a very long, lengthy sermon, but it is it was recorded, history recorded, that as he preached this message, people were holding on to the pillars, literally believing that they were being pulled into hell itself. It was so dynamic, it was so God was a, was amongst the people. It brought so much fear in a good way upon the people. And there was a real move of God. This is the man that we're talking about, Jonathan Edwards. People were weeping and wailing. People were making their peace with God. Their hearts were being turned towards God. And at the heart of this great revival, Jonathan Edwards and the group of people who were with him were so fearful of losing the blessing through division that they made a community resolution. There were ten things that they determined between each other. I want to just quickly read through the ten things. You won't be able to get them down on your pads, but I'm more than happy to get this emailed across to you if you would like it. But this is the first thing they, they said in terms of guarding the unity that was amongst them. In all our conversation, concerns and dealings with our neighbours, we will be honest, just and upright. Number two, if we wrong others in any way, we will not rest until we have made restitution. Number three, we promise that we will not permit ourselves to indulge in any kind of backbiting. Number four, we will be careful not to do anything to others out of a spirit of revenge. Number five, when there is a difference of opinion concerning another's rights, we will not allow private interest to influence us. Number six, we will not tolerate the exercise of enmity or ill will, or revenge in our hearts. Number seven, if we find that we have a secret grudge against another, we will not gratify it, but we will root it out. Number eight, we will not allow over-familiarity in our talk with others, or anything that may stir up uh, difficult behaviour. Number nine, we resolve to examine ourselves on a regular basis, Knowing that the heart is very deceitful. And number 10. We will run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Working out our salvation with fear and with trembling. These are powerful resolutions that these people made. I just want to make a statement. These have nothing to do with my my notes here. If we will make these kinds. I'm not saying we write write them down. But if this will be the very heart of. Who we are, God will do amazing things amongst us. God will do amazing things amongst us in Mansfield. God will do amazing things in your personal life. God will do amazing things in your family life. God will do amazing things in your personal relationships. I wanna, I'm, not, I'm not here as a Bible-thumping preacher tonight. I'm saying these principles really grab hold of me. They're, 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 they're consuming me. I'm not there. But this is where I need to live. Because there God commands his blessing. 
You see, at the very core of this move of God, the leaders and the people, Jonathan Edwards and the people who were with him, were committed, in essence, to unity. To unity. What is unity? Well, unity is a oneness. It's a place where we sit, we live, we eat together. It's a great place to be, and we'll make some reference, some Bible references to it tonight. But I want to say to each and every one of us, unity actually is one of, if not the, is one of the greatest weapons in our arsenal. It really is. If the church will be united, there is nothing that can stand against us. I I will digress, but it spoke about the people of Babel in Genesis in chapter 11. God says that because they were so together with one accord and one mind and one heart, nothing that they put their mind to will be too difficult for them. Nothing at all. And God understood the principle of people coming together, unified together, that they could accomplish great things. My mind flashes to all kinds of uh, nations and teams and football teams and sporting events where we've seen people overcome incredible odds because they've united together in a common cause and they've dug deep And they've ultimately won the victory. I'm not a great historian. I don't pretend to be. But one of the things that I had to do at school was learn about the wars. My granddad was, to hear him talk, he actually, you know, single-handedly defeated the Nazis. He really, my my dad's here tonight. But you may have a granddad who were like that as well. Honestly, I mean, he's he's, he's long gone now and I, I love my granddad. But seriously, to talk with him, it was like he literally shot Hitler himself. He he gunned them all down. He was the one. It wasn't Churchill at all. It was just Charlie Thorpe, Charles Thorpe, who took the war. But what I know about the war is this. The odds were stacked against the British. There was no way that we were going to win. There was no way that we could overcome the might of the Germans. They were advancing and they were moving forward and they were taking nations and everybody was running scared. And I don't want to get over the top here, but there was a man by the name of Winston Churchill who called the, the nation to what? To prayer and to seek God. And he called the nation to be united and to stand against the advancing armies. And the rest, the rest truly is history. And for any younger people here, that is why it's so important that we remember Remembrance Day. That is why it's so important that we remember the events that were long, long ago for our freedom. When people say those people paid their price for our freedom, that is the truth. That is the truth. But let me get back to my initial point. Because this isn't a political platform. This is a platform of grace. What I'm trying to express to you is the importance of unity and coming together can accomplish great things in God. The battle plan of Arena Church, and I want to encourage you, if you are not signed into in partnership, or you have no idea what I'm talking about, there's about three brochures that are on the resource hub. And I would encourage you, if you consider this to be your church, you consider this to be something that, yeah, you want to know more about, take it and go and read it. And this is where the DNA comes out of. Because on page 5, I won't go through all the battle plan and the heartbeat statement. But all I will say is there are some key words. And one of the key words is community. Let me give you the sentence. God transforms us through being in community. At Arena Church, this means, number one, 
everyone developing real grace-filled relationships, sharing in each other's joys, and strengthening each other in adversity. I absolutely love that sentence. The reality is we all have ups and downs, don't we? We all have highs and lows. We all have difficulties and then we all have excitement. It is all just part of life. So we want to be people, as the Bible says, that rejoices with those who rejoice. And if you're rejoicing tonight, I want to tell you there's a man at the front with a pink shirt who's rejoicing with you. I think it's exciting that God is doing great things in your life. But I also want you to know tonight that if you're in adversity... If you're in mourning, if you're in pain, then there's a man in a pink shirt who wants to help and share and do what we can with that. We can't solve, we haven't got a magic wand that we can just wave and just create everything, you know, like a Disney film, the happy ever after. But I want to tell you tonight that part of being in a community means that through thick and thin, through high and low, through good times and bad times, we stick together. And we're unified together. You see, together we can become greater. This unity, as I've said in arena, is expressed in a number of different ways. Very practically, why do we like to give people a warm welcome? What we like to say to you, to you all, we're a family, we're not perfect. You're looking a very imperfect man at the front. But one of the things that I actually believe is that I need you and you need me. And we need to learn to get along. Hello? We need to learn to get along. I may say some things that really tick you off and really frustrate the life out of you. Why are you nudging the man there, at the, Robert, at the side, Dad? You know, I, don't, I thought you were on my side. But, you know, there may be some things, Jazz, that really I, I get on your nerves. There just may be. I'm using you as an illustration. You may just say, you know, that Christian, why did he have to say that? That really ticks me off. But, you know, oftentimes, let's really earth this down. There are times when we say, well, that really ticks me off. I don't want anything to do with him. I I just can't be, I'm not going to that church any longer. I'm fed up with it now. And that's how some people have lived. We can't live like that any longer. Are you hearing me? We've got to learn to get along. I'm not going to do everything perfect and well and good. And neither, let me reverse it now, Jazz, is Jazz. There may be some things I say, why did Jazz do that? I don't understand. Well, is that for me to start going and gutting him down and getting in it? Get stuck? No, I've just got to learn to get along. Let me give you a Bible verse in Ephesians to just clarify this point. Ephesians in chapter 4 and verse 3. Well, let's go back to verse 2 because verse 2 shows us in some ways gives an insight how verse 3 is made possible. If we're going to learn to get along with one another, it's got to be rooted in, be completely humble and gentle, and be patient, uh, bearing with one another in love. And then verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We were hearing this morning about how over most Pentecostal platforms, there used to be a banner that went over the, the, the platform, holiness unto the Lord. I think this would have been a, probably a better thing, don't you think, Eric, to have been put up there? Because the amount of conflict and the amount of difficulty and the amount of division that has happened in the churches is unbelievable. And I'm, that's why I'm laboring. I feel like I'm, again, just lay, laying a line of bricks 
in our future. Because we've got to get this at the very core as we're just a handful of people. We've got to lay this as a foundation. You've got to understand you're not going to get on with everybody. You're not going to like everybody. But we've got to learn to love one another. And we've got to learn to make every effort to keep that you know, unity together. Only happens through the spirit of God at work amongst us. But it's no good as chunnering and muttering. It's no good as getting stuck in. It's no good as falling out. Those days are gone. Gone. We're just going to learn to get along. Does that mean that you're all going to be nice and smiley and happy and smiley like Carol Smiley and very nice and <laughs> No, it doesn't, does it, Russell? It doesn't mean that at all. It means there's times you can have a difficult conversation. It means at times you can have to take somebody into a corner and say, you know what, that really upset me. You know, we need to work something out. Of course it does. That's family life. Do you think my wife gets along with me all the time? I know it's hard to believe, ladies, because I look so angelic. I do understand that. I really do. But it's not the case. My wife has to say things to me. I have to say things to my wife. It's just part of family life. Do you think my girls and my son agrees with everything that daddy says? No, that's the answer. No, no, no Neil is the answer. Of course they don't. But we have to learn to get along. So we've got to be people that commit ourselves to unity. I just want to give you two very quick pictures. Uh, there, are, there are a number of pictures that God gives us in the scriptures. That there is some detail around, but we just need to, you know, like a good artist, we need to craft on the canvas some, some description of what we see. And the first one is found in the New Testament And I'm not going to labour that one, but just to say that in Acts in chapter 2, if you want to turn there, if you have a Bible with you, if not, don't worry, I'll read some verses for you. But in Acts in chapter 2, we see the beginning of the church in the New Testament. There's a new way that has come about because Christ, the Messiah, has now gone back to be with his Father in heaven. And the promised Holy Spirit has been sent, has been poured out, and that is upon all mankind for future generations. I want to say the Holy Spirit, we still believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We still believe and we will still preach about being filled with the Holy Spirit. We still believe in the Pentecost experience. We believe it. I'm not bothered where your flavor has come from. I'm, I'm not really bothered. You might be a Catholic, Baptist, you know, Anglican. I'm really not bothered. The, the Bible wants to encourage us to... Be filled with the Spirit of God. And this is what happened in Acts chapter 2. And uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And then these pivotal verses in, from verse 42 says, and it's worth a read. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. That is why we do some of those things in church, or all of those things in church. And then in verse 43 it says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. That's a great verse. The Spirit of God was at work. I want to tell you, he's still around doing miracles. He's still healing the sick. He's still raising the dead. We're going to see more and more of it in the United Kingdom in these coming days. I believe it. Verse 44, all the believers were, everybody say, together. That's not loud enough. All the believers were great. And had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet 
every day they continue to meet to together, okay, in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate. You're getting it now. Ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a picture of togetherness. Do you think the early apostles got on with one another all the time? You're dreaming if you think that. Human nature, it's impossible for us to get on with people all the time. One of the things that I really struggle with as a pastor is that everybody wants, I I feel, everybody wants to, you know, it's almost like be my best friend. Well, there's some people you get on with and then there's some people you don't get on with. Am I allowed to say that as a pastor? I'm not sure I'm allowed to say that as the pastor. I love everybody, but there's some people you connect with and then there's other people you have to work a little bit harder with. Oh dear, I feel it's just, I feel it's just nosedive from that moment. I feel like I'm peering over the edge now, ready to fall off the cliff. And so let's take it now back to the early church. These guys were not always going to see eye to eye and get along. If you read it with rose-tinted spectacles, the book of Acts, I tell you what, you're dreaming. There were disputes, there were discord, there were disagreements. There were that many disses, it was unbelievable. But they had to learn to get along. Unity. And we see the picture there of a group of people being thrust together. It wasn't even by choice. They were just gathered together because they were fearing what was going to happen to them. 120 in an upper room. Don't think that they were full of courage. They were running scared. They'd just seen Jesus, the Messiah, gone. And they were there. And they were together. And three times it mentions the word Together, they were meeting the needs of others. They were in each other's homes. They were sharing, helping, encouraging. There was outstanding miracles and healings. There was explosive growth in number. And the core, and the cause of it, you can't take away the Holy Spirit, was the fact that they were together. together. Great. They were together. They were together. Which speaks of me of unity. That's picture number one of unity. They just determined to get along. So let me ask you a question here. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for you? Is there somebody you're just going to work harder with here tonight? Is there somebody historically you've just thought, well, I'm not sure, but what does that mean for you? Does that mean that you're going to have to work a little bit harder? I think it probably does. Because we need to learn to get along. Let me give you the second picture, and you've just turned with me, and we'll just spend the last few minutes together in Psalm 133. And then I just want to bullet point three things from this psalm. It's a really well-known psalm for those who've been around church, or if you've not been around church, it's just a beautiful psalm, and I'd encourage you to go and read it together. But it's another picture of unity. It's found in the Old Testament, that is as powerful as the picture that we've just seen in Acts chapter 2. And it says there, from verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when brothers, I'm going to use the word, I've read the word brothers, when people, okay, when people live together in unity. 
It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers or people live together in unity. Here's another picture of the powerful effect of living together and working together and worshipping together. There are three things that I just want to draw from, from this very quickly. The first thing I want to say is this, for those who are taking notes. Joy, happiness and peace are resident in the house that is together. Joy, peace and happiness are resident in the house where unity is. Does that mean to say it's always going to be there? Well, there's going to be times, what I've said to you, where we're going to be kicking off and there's things that have to be said and it's not always going to be a happy time. But if that is the life and that is the, the ethos and the philosophy of the house, then there's trouble. But I want to say again, just laying some bricks in Arena Church, we desire, not more than anything else, but we desire this for joy, peace and happiness to be resident in the life of our church because we want unity to be at the very core. This means there's infectious joy. I was thrilled, Aidy, when, when Julie said, you know, we're going to ask Aidy to come up. And there was just a real sense of joy amongst the people when you just came up. I love it, the fact that, you know, there is real happiness. I'm, I love it, the fact that people are high-fiving me in here. I love it when the fact that, you know, there's just a real genuine warmth amongst the people here. It's just great. There's a real genuine joy. And church, I want to let you into a secret. And God wants to let us into this secret. That is so attractive to people. It's mega attractive. It's it's really, really attractive. Because all the places you go to, what you, what you're greeted with? Hello. That's if you're lucky. Isn't that true? You walk into some shops. You're looking for somebody. They're there behind the counter. And you can't even get a grunt out of them. Never mind a nice hello. I'm sorry if you're a retail shop assistant. I'm sure that isn't the case with you. But here... Vicky, do you want to preach this message? No. No, okay. I just wondered. Okay. I'll I'll carry on. I'll carry on. So, infectious joy. Beautiful atmospheres. You see where joy, happiness, and peace are resident. That is the the product of unity. And there's beautiful atmospheres. It becomes where we do church easier. I'm not saying church is ever easy. But church becomes easy uh, Where we delight with one another. Where we bring constant delight to each other. You may say, well, this is a talk. This sounds a little bit like, you know, heaven. This sounds a little bit too good to be true. Well, it may be, but I actually believe that that's what God wants us to learn. You see, this is the dry run for when we're in heaven. We've got to learn to get along. And this has been a big thing for me. Because there are some people, as I've said, that really, Jazz isn't one of them, because I, I use him as an, I don't want you thinking now, am I one of them? He isn't one of them. But there are some people you just, you have to work harder with. Harder with. And I really desire for joy, 
infectious joy, beautiful atmosphere, beautiful sense of God to be here in this place. You see, it's like precious oil poured on the head. My son, he's too young for him to know, but he suffers with a dry scalp. And uh, they've, they've said it, just a little bit of eczema that's there. And it really irritates him, particularly in cold weather. And the hairdresser said to us, she said, she looked at him, she said, yeah, what, what you need to do is you just need to pour some oil on his head. I thought, that's a bit strange. Surely there's something a bit more medical than that. No, just get some olive oil and just pour it on his head. Well, the poor lad can't go out that in the morning because he'd look like he's, you know, <laughs> chip fat on his head or greased back or... Poor lad. So at night, I think it was last week, Caroline just poured some head. It looked really, it looked like a bit of a David Beckham look, actually, real sweat back. And it was amazing. The following morning, as they showered his, his hair, how this dry scalp just started to fall out just naturally. The property of oil and olive oil is immense. And we get a picture like the precious oil that's pouring on the head. There's just some, some sense of God's anointing and God's pleasure upon our lives as we dwell together in unity. Secondly, this good and pleasant, it's unmissable, distinct, and attractive. It's unmissable, distinct, and attractive. Now, some of you have heard my story before, but it, I'm going to repeat it again, and I'll try and make it a lot uh, shorter. But many years ago, I was transferred with my work down to Milton Keynes. I worked in uh, for the bank, and I worked in a place called Wolverton that was about three miles out of Milton Keynes. And um, it just so happened that the computer center for the bank was actually in the area as well. So on Fridays, you would get a lot of the computer staff coming to the bank to obviously do their banking, to do whatever they needed to do. Well, I was 18 at the time, and there was this lady who uh, came in. I, 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 she, for me, she was an older lady. I think she was all of 40. So please, 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 I just want to make a statement on that. Don't fall out with me, okay? You need to love me. Because I am now, I am now at that age, okay? So I I now recognize that some of these 18-year-olds probably think that I'm an old geezer. I do understand that. But I was 18 at the time. But one thing I remember about this lady, I can't remember her name. I can remember her face. I would see her now. It's not because I had a crush on her, honestly. But uh, she used to come in and we had the the screens. I was a cashier at that time, and she would come through, and she would draw, withdraw her money, and she smelled gorgeous. I can't even begin to tell you guys. She just smelled like delicious, really, really delicious. No comment from you, Eric, and I don't know what you're muttering, but she just smelled absolutely lovely, and um, I just, I was, hope, I used to line up, I used to hope that I'd get this later so I could just have a whiff. Of a, of a perfume, and I like smells, I, I love the nice smells and perfumes and aftershaves, that, that I enjoy all that kind of things, um, but uh, let me get back to the story, so <laughs> week after week she would come in, and I got to the point where I, I just thought I've got to pluck up enough courage to ask this lady what perfume she's got, because I'll go and buy it for Caroline, that's what I'll do, uh, that was a good you know, get out. Yeah, that was a good... No, it was genuine. 
And uh, anyway, I, that's, what, that's what I did. And it just so happened that it was a Benetton perfume at that time. Benetton was the in thing. And I remember asking her, and I said, you know, if you don't mind me just saying, but I think you smell really, really nice. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what a line that was. And it wasn't meant to be a line, honestly. It really wasn't. But, um, and she got to know me by then. And uh, I just said, you don't mind me asking, but what perfume are you wearing? And I remember her telling me, even to this day, and it, was, it was Benetton. Why am I saying that to you? You may be thinking, well, I have no idea. I want to tell you, unity is like that. It smells so good. It smells so good. Have you ever been in a home where things have been kicking off? Oh. Should I say you're a visitor to that home and you walk in and the, something may have kicked off out, half hour before, but you get in and there's just an atmosphere? If I can say this without sounding too cruel, crude, there's a smell. And you just think, oh, what have I just come in? What have I just come into? Let me just be honest with you. There's times when I might have been kicking off, and some of you might come into my place and think, what's that? So I'm not trying to point the finger. I'm trying to say there may be times when I haven't been particularly Christ-like, and I need to get a grip. But let's reverse it now. That when there's a beautiful sense of togetherness and unity, it's unmissable. It's distinct and it's attractive. And people come in and say, if you don't mind me asking, what's the smell around this place? Because it's beautiful and I want more of it. Can you just show me the way to go? People are always wanting to know, I think, how to build a church and I don't pretend to ever have any answers, but I do think these, there's some keys here that God wants to show us. If we will be a group of people that live together, then people will begin to look on and say, I really like the smell of this house. You see, oil in the times of the Old Testament was heavily fragranced. It was strongly perfumed and it diffused all odors. It diffused all smells. This was a great oil that flowed and this is what happens when unity is present. And lastly, if you want to say, well, what are the other benefits for unity? I really want to say how good and pleasant it is. It's a place of exceeding fruitfulness. Psalm 133 says, the third verse, it's as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. I've never been to Israel. I've never been to the Holy Land. I've never been to any of that area, that region. Some of you may have visited it. But what I do know is this. It talks about the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. There were two hills. Hermon was a common hill, is a common hill. It's an everyday hill. It's on the border, I believe, of Palestine and Lebanon. And I actually think it signifies the everyday life that we live, the living, the breathing, the working, the eating, the relating, the speaking, the common things. So this was a common hill. But what does it say about the common hill? The common hill's Jew falls on Mount Zion. Well, Mount Zion, really, let's not get over spiritual, it's another place for Jerusalem. Actually, what Jerusalem stands for was a parched place. I want to say the fruit that Jerusalem enjoyed was only as a result of the Jew of Hermon. Our everyday life 
is so important. And it flows into our spiritual lives. Jerusalem being a signifying of the spiritual. You see, it's impossible for people to say, oh, I've got this spiritual life, if we're not handling our everyday life. And what happens is the Jew of Hermon flowed into Mount Zion or Jerusalem, and it watered the, the J- Jerusalem, and it brought incredible fruit and effectiveness to that whole area and to that whole city. People who want to separate that which is, you know, the physical and that which is the spiritual, or that which is, what, what did I put in here, the spiritual from the secular, you're having a laugh. Everything's spiritual. And it wasn't Rob Bell who coined that phrase either, Josh. He's been around for a lot longer than Rob Bell. Everything's spiritual. And we see there, let's read it again. It was as if the Jew of Hermon, this is talking about this anointing oil. It was as if, as if the Jew of Hermon, our everyday ordinary lives, were falling on the spirit, Mount Zion, the spiritual Jerusalem. And it waters and it brings incredible fruit to our lives. You see, it's no good saying, well, I'll be unified on Sunday, but forget Monday to, Monday to Saturday. It's no good saying, well, I'll live for God on Sundays, but I'll leave him at home on Wednesday. God's wanting everything from our lives. We're running a present series. I don't all want you coming over on uh, equippers at, at Ilkeston Arena called An Ordinary Day with Jesus. How God wants to be in our ordinary days. Colleen sent me an email. Uh, she's now blushing now, but I am going to say it because, you know, in our everyday lives, you know, Jesus wants to be in our lives. And we even spoke about how we drive our cars. Is Jesus pleased with how we drive our cars? And she made a comment about a donkey and Jesus drive, riding a donkey and not driving a car and, you know, all the rest of it. But Jesus wants to be in our everyday lives. You see, this Jew feeds, waters, replenishes, and is instrumental in producing a harvest. Let me conclude. Verse 3 of Psalm 133, and we'll be done in just a moment. It says, For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. What is this saying? There are commanded blessings as we live together in unity. Get that. There are commanded blessings as we live together in unity. Who is commanding the blessing? The Lord is. I want to say, when we're speaking about this, He speaks, and it is done. And He looks for a community of people that aren't perfect, just like you and me, that come from all different walks of life, that are on different journeys, that are just working our way through faith, that still get a lot of things wrong, that still say a lot of things wrong, but have a desire to please him and a desire to get along with one another. And he looks for that kind of community. He's not bothered how well you can sing. He's not bothered what you put in the offering. He's not bothered how talented you are. He's not bothered what bad words you said today. What he's after is a group of people who have a heart after him and a heart to just love one another and just be Christ-like. And then God says, I look for that kind of people and I'll bestow the blessing of God, even life forevermore. Even life forevermore. This was the blessing of all blessings. I want to encourage all of us to live in love and peace with one another.